This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. On September 28, 1951, Norm Van Brocklin of the Los Angeles Rams made NFL history, throwing for 554 yards, a record that still stands today. Brocklin was aptly nicknamed the Dutchman for his Dutch heritage. In the same year, another quarterback named for his heritage was born. This guy was called the Polish Rifle, and he started his career with, you guessed it, the Los Angeles Rams. But that's not the nickname we all remember. What we remember is simply Jaws. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This week as we step off the DeLorean, the date is March 23rd, 1951, and we're here to celebrate the birth of this week's guest. This week's guest is none other than Jaws. Now, I'm not talking about Jaws the Shark. Although, he was just as tough as that great white. What we're here to talk about is Ron Jaworski, the Polish rifle, Rifle Ron, or simply put, just Jaws. Now, he doesn't need an introduction for any fan that has been around for the NFL over the past 40 years. But just here's a quick one for you. He was drafted by the Los Angeles Rams in 1973, and he played for almost two decades. Well, he didn't really make his mark on the league until after he was traded to the Philadelphia Eagles and played under coach Dick Vermeil. Now, he would also lead these same Eagles to Super Bowl 15. They'd be defeated by the Raiders, but that would be the year where he was basically the best quarterback in the league, or at least the one that took him to the Super Bowl, that is. He then retired from playing. Then after he retired from playing, he started a broadcasting career. We may know him or remember him from Monday Night Football, ESPN as an analyst. Then he would also become a business owner and even an author of a book called Games That Change the Game. And I'll go ahead and include links in the show notes for you for more about Jaworski's career as well as his book for you to go ahead and purchase if you'd like to. Which, by the way, you can get to your show notes for your podcast player choice or by heading to thefootballhistorydude.com. Again, that's thefootballhistorydude.com. It's the best place to go to learn more about the yesteryear of the gridiron. And even if you like, you can go ahead and support the show in various ways. But for now, let's get into the interview with Ron Jaworski, simply known as Jaws. Jaws, thank you uh, for taking time and uh, welcome to the Football History Do Podcast. You bet, Arnie. Good to be with you. All right. So the first thing I have to uh, ask from you, uh, you're known as a game tape guru in the industry. Where did that come from? trying to get an edge. Um, I, I probably realized that uh, a young age in the NFL uh, that maybe I wasn't the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, all those things. And I, I felt that there was a way to, to garner an edge against my opponent and outthink them, outsmart them. Uh, so I became a, a film wonk. Uh, at that time, it was all film. Uh those earlier days and breakdowns, and I, I, I began to really get engrossed in studying my opponent and 
that that was something I really enjoyed to do and lock myself down and study the tape and be prepared for anything my opponent could throw at me. So it, it, it actually paid big dividends when I retired in 1990 after 17 years in the league, you know, being hired by NFL Films and ESPN and doing a lot of uh, what we call drill down X's and O work. So uh, I really enjoyed that part of it, giving uh, the viewers something that most people just kind of scoffed over. Yeah, and that kind of led in also later to a book, which was The Games That Changed the Game. If I could give you my virtual keys to my DeLorean, you could go back to one of those games and be part of the uh, planning process. Which game would you go to? Wow, there's, there, there were so many interesting ones because uh, actually Greg Cosell and, and Dave Plough from NFL Films, they co-authored a book with me. And it was it, there was about two years of, of research uh, that went into to the book. And uh, so it, it, it's hard to find just seven games that changed the game. Uh, and we're not going to say, hey, these are the, the only seven. There, were, there was a lot of debate, uh, a, a lot of discussion, games that we felt um, really did have an impact on, on how the game was played. Um, but probably one, one that, 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 that maybe jumps out at me. Uh, and by the way, we actually found some film footage, like from the 19... 19- 63 San Diego Chargers Boston Patriots championship game and broke that game. Now we went, we called museums in New England and they found footage. It was some crazy stuff that uh, we actually got footage to study and watch, you know, to, of these games. Um, but probably one that, as I see the evolution of the game, and boy, I, I can't wait to add a couple more to it. Uh, but it was it was Buddy Ryan's defense. Uh, it, it, again, it was a time I was playing, uh, so I and, I and I played against Buddy's defense. Then when Buddy was my coach in '86 in Philadelphia, I kind of learned more of the intricacies of, of of his schematic design of that '46 defense. And man, it was it was revolutionary, and it was also unsound. <laughs> Which is, you know, most coaches are not going to ask their players to do something that is unsound. But he did. It was, you know, guys might be running free, wide open, 20 yards down the field. And Buddy would always say, well, the quarterback's going to be on his back before you can see that guy 20 yards down the field. And you know what? He was right. You know, so it was unsound, but it worked. So I, I would say that was kind of the one that I go, wow, that, that was really a scheme that changed the game, but was pretty bizarre. Now, how did that going against his defenses in practice and training camp improve you as a quarterback and how does that generally improve quarterbacks when they deal with these types of defenses in practice? First time he had to understand what they were doing, you know, for many, many years, you know, when, when, when teams blitzed, you could read the blitz, throw a hot, a slant, a go fade, whatever, you could just get the ball out of your hands. All of a sudden, buddy Ryan started giving these blitzes that looked like zero coverage blitzes, but he was dropping, you know, defensive linemen in the pass coverage because he knew the ball was going to come out in the second and a half. So he would just take away those quick passing lanes, force you to hold on to the football, and then the pressure would get to you. And when the pressure got to you, I mean, his defense didn't play nice. He didn't say, I'm going to I'm gonna wrap you up and gently put you on the ground. And they wanted to bend your face mask and puncture your lung and crack your, lip, your ribs. That's how they played defense, intimidating style. That's what Buddy's defense was all about. But from a quarterback perspective, it changed. Like I had to know what defensive line was dropping out. So I could see the blitz. I knew it was coming, but where was that defensive lineman going to drop out and take away my hot route and take away my receiver? So that there was always 
some calculations and it had to happen fast. Yeah. And you mentioned working with Buddy Ryan later in your career, but you were with Dick Vermeil at the very beginning of, well, your second stint with the team. What was that relationship like with Coach Vermeil? It was spectacular. Um, I, I literally, you know, uh, that was year five when I came to Philadelphia after four years with, with, with Chuck Knox uh, out with the Los Angeles Rams and Kenny Myers, our offensive coordinator. But, I, you know, I learned the game then. I was developing my feel for the game then. But it really wasn't until I came to Philadelphia uh, under Dick Vermeil where I really expanded my knowledge of the game because he demanded it. Um, you had to really understand every position that was happening on every single play. So I not only had to understand – you know, what I had to do, where my reads would take me. But it was it was just incumbent when you're in Dick Vermeule's offense, you understood what everyone else was doing. You were basically a coordinator on the field. And we spent so much time, you know, in meeting rooms and play calling meetings and just going over and over in the off season. You know, we actually had off season in the NFL back then. <laughs> you, went to, you went to the stadium every day and you had meetings and you went in the field and you know, there was an off-season where you were learning and you weren't uh, regulated by collective bargaining rules. So um, coaches could actually teach you and you could learn during the off-season. I, I always told people, you know, that's where I developed my great esprit de corps with a Harold Carmichael and a Mike Quick and guys like that that were my go-to receivers in Philadelphia. It was in the off-season. Uh, but literally, I learned an appreciation for the game from a design standpoint from Dick Vermeil. If you could go back to the beginning of your career with the Eagles and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? Calm down. <laughs> um, I, I was uh, I was a very energetic uh, kind of um, player. Um, I mean, I just had all kinds of energy, and, and there were times I, I I tried to make things happen. If I would probably been a little more calm. Um, I probably would have been better off for it, you know, and, and, and I would watch other quarterbacks of my era, uh, like a Joe Montana, you know, who had the nickname, you know, Joe Cool. Joe was just, that's how Joe was. Yet my, I played like my hair was on fire. And, 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 and that, that was, we were just two different personalities, two different players. Um, what worked for him may not necessarily have worked for me. So, but in hindsight, I wish I probably could have calmed down a little bit more and, and played uh, with a little less passion, enthusiasm while the game was going on. Yeah, you had quite a few injuries in your career, even though you were an Ironman for quite some time. Uh, what would have been the worst hit you ever took? Well, there were a lot of hits. <laughs> you know, when you play seventeen years this league, you're gonna get you're gonna get beat up a lot. Um, but there was there was one, and it it probably wasn't even the hardest hit. Um, but it, it's a great story. <laughs> but people are going to look, there was, a, there was a Lawrence Taylor hit. There was a Mike Hartenstein hit where I was carted off the field. But we played the then St. Louis Cardinals at, at, at Veterans Stadium. And uh, I got hit right under the jaw. And it split my tongue on both sides. And, and, and the blood was kind of coming out and coming down my face. And they were taking me into the locker room, you know, kind of draped over my athletic trainers, the blood coming down my face. And in Veterans Stadium, the tunnel that went to the locker room, my wife had her season tickets right above that tunnel. And so as I was going in to the locker room, I didn't realize until about two minutes later, she had left her seat and went down around the back. And she comes running into the training room at the stadium because she thought I was 
really in bad shape because you saw all this blood coming. And I'm in the training room and they're stitching up my tongue. So it was kind of one, that was one of the weirdest ones because I'm going, what's my wife doing in the locker room? We're watching the game on TV and Joe Pasarczyk, the backup quarterback, gets dinged. He's out of series and they show Max Runniger, who was our punter, warming up on the sideline. So <laughs> I said, I said to the doc, hurry up. I don't want Runniger to have to go in this game and play quarterback for us. <laughs> uh, end up going back in the game. By the end of the fourth quarter, I was talking like, because my tongue was so swollen, I could hardly call the plays. We did win the game, though, and Max didn't have to get 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 in the game. But Sarchik was fine. I was fine, and we won the football game. All right, good deal, and I appreciate your time. I know you got to get on to your next meeting, so thank you for everything you do, Jaws. My pleasure, Arnie. Great to be with you. Keep up the good work. All right, will do. You guys have a good one. Thank you. How about that? Stories with Jaws. Ron Jaworski. I mean, for me, as a fan growing up, I didn't really remember him during his career, but it's kind of cool to watch him because I've always listened to him and ESPN as an analyst, Monday Night Football and those kinds of things. But speaking of 70s football, there's something that we're going to talk about that you heard at the beginning of the show. I mentioned that the football history dude is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for your favorite sports yesteryear. Now, you ask yourself, what is the Sports History Network? Well, it's a network of sports history podcasts and other forms of entertainment that's going to be bringing to you together all of your favorite sports yesteryear. Now, it's at the very beginning stages, and we only have one other show officially launched, The Pigskin Past, and it covers mostly the 70s era, and it's presented by a previous guest, Joe Zagorski. Another show that's coming down the pipeline is called When Football Was Football. That'll be hosted by your resident Chicago football history expert, Joe Ziemba. The goal of the network is to bring together sports history podcasts and other forms of media into one hub. That way you can learn about your favorite sports yesteryear, and then you can also learn about other shows that cover different sports teams, whether it be a pro team, a college team, a high school team, or even look at an entire league from a higher level. Whatever it is, you can go ahead and take a look at it. Like I said, upcoming on what we're calling the Sports History Network. You can go check it out right now at sportshistorynetwork.com. You can go ahead and offer suggestions for other shows you'd like to see on the network at the contact page, or even if you'd like to, I don't know, maybe start your own show. Go ahead and head to the join us section and we can go ahead and take a look at it. We will work to help podcasters grow their show and listeners to discover new sports history podcasts throughout the network. For now, though, here's an example of the next show, Pigskin Pass, hosted by Joe Zagorski. Professional football is one of the most exciting spectator sports in America. During the course of a typical pro football game, millions of fans across the country revel in the enjoyment, the excitement, the anticipation, the successes, the last second victories, and even the anguish caused by unexpected losses. Pro football fans look forward to experiencing all of those happenings. A typical pro football game can be emotionally draining for fans because the excitement level is so high. But if you ask any true fan of the sport, all of the emotions that one encounters watching a game are well worth it. 
Pro football is truly a great and unique American activity. Pro football history, on the other hand, is the remembering and the retelling of such exciting events from yesteryear. The Pigskin Pass with Joe Zagorski is a short segment which airs on the Sports History Network. With each segment, Zagorski will explore the game's great players, the great games, the great occurrences, the great plays, and the great teams of pro football's past. He focuses on one specific topic per show and delves into it with quality insight and common sense analysis. Be it a noteworthy individual player's achievements, such as a record-breaking game by a famous quarterback or a running back, or reminiscing of a famous game from decades ago, or a discerning look at a strategical element on both sides of the line of scrimmage, or a big play by an obscure and mostly forgotten player, Sigorsky is ready, willing, and able to address all of the above and more. Joe Zagorski has spent many years watching and writing about pro football and has been a member of the Pro Football Researchers Association since the mid-1980s. He has also worked for quite some time as a former sports writer in his home state of Pennsylvania. He has written three books on the sport and is currently in the process of writing his fourth pro football book. Pigskin Past with Joe Zagorski. Be sure to catch the next installment only on the Sports History Network. Hope you enjoyed that teaser trailer for a new podcast coming to the Sports History Network. And don't forget to head to sportshistorynetwork.com for more details about this exciting network at the very grassroots. I almost feel kind of like, uh, I guess you could say, Ralph Hay back in the Hup won't be a lot of showroom. And if you did not catch that reference, then head over to the site and we'll get you all sorted out. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads.